Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. And welcome to this week's edition of the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great estate plans. Uh, my name is Tim Seckler. I am the owner of the Seckler Law Firm, and I do this radio show to teach you the things I think you need to know about making a great estate plan. Uh, we've been doing this show for a couple of years now. If you're a longtime listener, thanks for checking it out. If you're a new listener, thanks for checking it out. You can check all the old uh, episodes on uh, Apple iTunes or Spotify. Uh, there's, I think, something like 130 episodes out there at this point. And I, I kind of joke with my team, if somebody would just sit and listen to uh, the entire 130 episodes, one, you'd probably go crazy. But two, there's an awful lot of content there for you to understand what making a proper estate plan should look like for you. Um, I need to do a disclaimer like I do each and every time. Listen, this is a radio show for your education and for your entertainment. This is not legal advice by listening to the radio show. You did not become my legal client, um, and you should not take advice based on this or any other radio show. Look, if you've got a legal problem, you need an attorney, and you should reach out and call one. We are available anytime. The phone answers 24-7 at 724-546-4227, or you can check out our website at secklerlawfirm.com. Now, my last name is hard to spell. My first name is easy to spell, so just go to estateplantim.com and you're going to find our website. Now, when you're at the website, feel free to cruise around. There's a lot of content there. We've done tons and tons and tons of blog articles explaining a lot of the most commonly asked questions. There's downloadable guides on on some of the topics of interest, like what happens when someone passes away and what happens if uh, if we need to do Medicaid eligibility for a nursing home or something. Um, you know, my, my thought on this has always been, Give the education. Just do the education, and people will make good decisions. And if we do the education and we get you informed the right way, well, you might choose to do business with my law firm, which I certainly hope that you do. Um, The best thing you could probably do is – uh, register for one of our upcoming estate planning and elder law workshops. It's called our Three Secrets to Protect Your Legacy. It's a workshop that we do frequently. Uh, we have uh, them offered every month in either Cranberry Township or in South Point, and we will be uh, opening up other areas around the city uh, sometime soon, but Cranberry Township or um, South Point, and you can hop on the interstate and get there pretty quick. I can actually see the interstate from, uh, from my office. I can see I-79. It's super easy to get to. Um, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at up one of our upcoming Three Secrets workshops. Now, what are we talking about today? I want to talk about the house. I talk an awful lot about the house, but you got to understand that proper planning for your home is proper planning, right? Um, there's so many examples. You know, if you come to the workshop, I could, I could show you where if we just plan well for the home, man, we've protected an awful lot of your net worth, and now we've um, and we can um, protect some of your money and, and have different opportunities available to us later if you go into a nursing home. And so I was uh, reading the news recently. There was an article on Post-Gazette, at least on online version, on uh, when was this? This was June the 12th. Um, and it, the, the name of the article on the Post-Gazette is Staying Put. Pittsburgh tops the list of metro areas where seniors stay in their homes the longest. Interesting. 
so the headline got my attention. I read it. Uh, it also says younger home buyers have fewer choices because of the shortage of housing stock. Uh, that's the subheading. But that's not really what the article seems to me to be about. Um, it goes through this family that had bought their home in uh, the 70s, built their house there. Um, and across the country, so goes the article, older Americans are deciding against selling their homes and downsizing at the same pace they once did, leaving younger home bu- uh, homeowners struggling uh, to purchase homes in the face of limited housing supply. That stay-put mentality is even more pronounced among native Pittsburghers, earning locals a reputation for holding on to their homes for generations. Cool. Um, this is interesting that, that that is a unique trait of Pittsburghers. Uh, the Pittsburgh metropolitan area is home to the country's largest share of retirement age residents who have lived in the same house for more than 30 years. The U.S. Census Bureau data shows that 56.5% of Pittsburgh homeowners, 65 and older, are living in a house they moved into 30 or more years ago. The national average is uh, 38%. Um, while an additional 39 have lived there for 10 years. So here's what's interesting. I don't know why this occurs in Pittsburgh. I don't know why um, this is what it is. But we are, uh, we're apparently clingy to our houses around here, at least the seniors are. Um, and so here's, here's some unique things to understand about this is, okay, well, as an estate planner, if most of our retirees are staying in their house for 10 years, 30 years or more, then that has some impl- interesting implications for how we Pittsburghers, especially retired Pittsburghers, should be planning uh, for your nest egg. Um, and let's talk about the house. And there's a couple of different things I want to bring up because one of the questions we get all the time um, from um, clients is whether we should put our house in our kids' names. Okay, this is a question we get all the time. I've done a recent episode just on that topic. Um, But here it is again. This is up in the news again. I want to talk about it again. So um, I feel very strongly for middle class retirees that you ought to take a good long hard look at holding your house in an irrevocable asset protection trust. Okay. Um, We spent a lot of time on this in our workshop teaching you sort of the ins and outs. But here's the effect. If I have your house in a trust, and I have your house in a trust for more than five years, then now we have protected that house from your biggest financial threat in retirement, and that is what happens if you need a nursing home, because nursing homes in this country, uh, in this state, are about thirteen grand a month or $160,000 in a year. And as far as I can tell, from the people I meet, very few people want to spend $160,000 a year on anything, let alone a nursing home I don't really want to be in in the first place. Right? So $160,000 a year, I think most of us could agree, would be sort of a financially devastating situation. Okay. Now, by having a house in a trust, we can protect that trust from this issue without really impacting your life at all. Okay. So, so let me make up a, a definition. Um, definition of a middle-class Pittsburgher. A definition of a middle-class Pittsburgher is the person owns their home. Maybe they're still working off, uh, working off the mortgage with the bank, right? But we own our home, and we have some other money. So if you are in Tim's definition, you know, an economist may disagree, but if you're middle-class, to me that means you either own your home or you could. You've just not de- you've decided to not own a home. 
so you own your home and you've got some other stuff. Because if you don't have any other stuff, then I still love you, but you may not fit into the definition of middle class if you don't have any money. Still love you, not middle class. If you've got a bunch of money, still love you, you're not middle class, right? So if I got some house and I got some money, then what that tells me, you know, and I, I, I've been at this for over a decade now. What, what I know about a family who has a house and has some money in the bank is that very unlikely are they going to do a reverse mortgage on that house. Not never. They make sense on occasion. Um, but the vast majority of people are not going to access their home equity in a meaningful way to buy groceries. We've got other money to buy groceries. i got a Social Security check. i got a pension. i got some other money. So I've got other money to buy groceries, which means I'm never going to, despite what Tom Selleck is selling on late-night television, I'm, I'm never going to do a reverse mortgage. So if we're never going to do a reverse mortgage, which means we're never going to access our home equity, then what's the harm in putting our house into a trust that says I'm not going to access my home equity? I was never going to anyway. Right? So what have I given up? Really not much, but I've got it in a house that says I can – I've got it in a trust that says I cannot receive a distribution, which that and a whole bunch of other important terms in this trust means that the house is now protected from – this government nursing home Medicaid system that we have. So if after five years I've had my house in this type of trust and it's properly drafted, now I've protected the house from the nursing home. And what have I given up? The ability to write myself a check. I was never going to write myself a check. I've got other stuff to buy groceries, right? And so by my thought process, I don't see a ton of downside to putting the house in the trust, at least from a accessing the equity standpoint. Now, if we put money in the trust, yeah, sure, that you might be giving up some dollars that you might have written yourself a check with. But um, with with the house itself, you know, to me makes a lot of sense. Now, here's the difference. Here's really an interesting turn of events now. Now we've got this house after five years protected from the nursing home. Great. Um, That means if it's a single person, when they pass away, the kids are going to inherit from the trust. If they need to go to the nursing home first and go through the money that's outside of the trust, the kids are still going to get an inheritance from the trust. You know, and, and at least the way I think about this and the way most of my clients seem to think about this is I didn't work for 40, 50, 60, 70 years to uh, accumulate a nest egg just to lose it to some broken government rule book that says if I go to the nursing home, I got to go broke. What the heck is that all about? I don't want to go broke, you know. And, you know, that the nursing home, people that tend to need the nursing home tend to have chronic issues like dementia or Parkinson's disease or some issue that results in long, long-term stays. Um, so if I have one of those issues when I'm older, then I could stand to lose my house and my money uh, to this broken government rule book. But the, what the craziness about this whole thing is if I had some other health issue, like, like call it a, a heart attack or cancer, right? These are terrible conditions. But if I'm over 65, generally speaking, Medicare pays for those treatments. Medicare pays for surgery. Medicare pays for uh, medications, um, you know, the, the treatments that are typically acute in nature, right? So Medicare will pay for some ailments, and Medicare will not pay for other ailments. So if I have one of the ailments that requires custodial care, Medicare is not going to pay for that, and I'm going to go broke. So whether my wife is okay in retirement, whether my kids are going to receive an inheritance, whether my wife is going to have a house to live in is almost entirely dependent on what my health care issue is when I'm retired, which is a roll of the dice. And from my standpoint, that's not good enough. I am not going to leave my wife in her well-being or my kids in their potential inheritance. 
I'm not going to leave that subject to a roll of the dice. I'm going to protect them. And so from my standpoint, that looks like using an asset protection trust. And if the only thing we put in there is a house and the trust says you can't access your home equity, but you were never going to anyway, what have we given up here? Um, and so this is a thing I wish that most people, more retired uh people would would consider it's the thing that we spend an awful lot of time on in our three secrets to protect your workshop uh, to protect your legacy workshop uh, which you can register for anytime they're free we offer them in cranberry we offer them in south point uh, monthly and you can come you can register at estateplantim.com um, or you can call it 724-546-4227 and we'll get you signed up it's a free workshop we're going to teach you for about an hour and a half on all these important things, and you can ask all the questions you want. I do some of them. Some other folks from my team do some of the workshops, but you're going to learn a lot either way. Uh, so I encourage you to attend. All right Now let's get back to this article here, though. So that, that's kind of a, a case for why we should use the trust. Now, one of the things that people sometimes ask me, though, is can't I just put my house in my kids' names? And I think that the trust is a better option, and most people probably should not put their house in their kids' names for at least three reasons. Here's those reasons. The first is um, if I put my house in my kid's name, what have I just given up? I've just given up control, right? So if I put my house in my kid's name and my kid goes through a divorce or my kid dies before me, if my kid dies before me, now where's my house? What's his will say? If his will says all to his wife, now I live in a house owned by my former daughter-in-law. What happens when she remarries? If his, if his will says it comes back to me, now I'm paying inheritance tax on my own house. If his will says it goes to his kids, now I'm living in a house owned by my grandson. What, when, what happens when he sells it for beer money? Right? Um, and so, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of giving up control. Plus, you know, in giving up control, you're trying to protect the house from your potential future issues like taxes or the nursing home, but you're subjecting the house to your kids' issues. Uh, what happens if your kid gets sued? What happens if your kid gets sick? You know, a lot of people think that their kids can never get sick. Well, listen, people are getting sick early. You know, Bruce Willis, a hero of my childhood, action figure, Bruce Willis, frontotemporal dementia at 62 years old, and as I understand it, he's pretty far advanced with this, and it's a terrible, terrible disease. And, you know, Bruce Willis will likely never see the inside of a nursing home, but a lot of middle-class families would, and um, it can happen. So just, you know, families that are in their 80s, that doesn't mean the 60-year-old kid can't get sick. Um, and there's a tax mistake to be made, which is really what's relevant today for our discussion about this Pittsburgh Post-Gazette article that says that families in Pennsylvania, retirees, tend to own their house for a very, very long time. Okay. So I want to talk to you for a second about capital gains taxes. Capital gains tax is a tax that is due upon the sale of an asset that has grown in value. All right. So let's say I bought a house, like a lot of these Pittsburgh retirees mentioned in the article. Let's say I bought a house. Um, in 1977. And in 1977, the house cost, oh, let me just give a round number and say it was, uh, it was, let's just say somebody spent $100,000 on a home in 1977. All right, and that house has grown in value. And I only did 100 just to give myself easy math, right? But let's say somebody gave, uh, purchased a house in 1977, and as the Post article says, they still own it here. Um, 30 years later, 50 years later, the um, the house is worth more now, in all likelihood. So let's say that the house is worth, say, 350 now. Okay, so we bought it for 100. That's what's called our tax 
basis. We own it for $100,000. The fair market value, what it's worth today, is now $350,000. So we have a $250,000 capital gain. Now, when you sell an asset that has grown in value, there's typically a tax due on that gain. So if this piece of real estate was, say, like a second home or a rental property, or if it was a stock, for that matter, that I owned, and the the price of whatever it is raises in value, and then I sell it, I'm going to owe capital gains taxes, which combined federal state could look like 18%. Um, 18%. So if I have a house for 100 and today it's worth 350 and I sell it and it's worth $250,000, you're probably looking at a $50,000 to $60,000 tax on the capital gain when you sell that house. Now, what's interesting is, the IRS and a PA Department of Revenue, generally speaking, don't tax the sale of the primary residence. So if dad, who's owned this house for 40 years, 50 years, sells the house, there's no tax. Okay, But there's this thing out there that happens where people, I don't know what it is, but people think it's a good idea to put their house in their kids' names. Okay, Now, we've already talked about why it might not be a good idea because what happens if your kid gets sick or your kid passes away or, or whatever. But let's just talk about taxes for a second. Now, it is possible in doing that transaction that you could avoid Pennsylvania's inheritance tax. Uh, If you die within a year, you have not avoided Pennsylvania's inheritance tax. But it's possible you avoid Pennsylvania inheritance tax. But if you're giving money to your kids, if the house would go to your kids, that's only 4.5%. So 4.5%. Now, if the the true value of the house is $350,000, the fact is that the tax fair market value on that house is probably... Two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollars, and so that's a four and a half percent tax on that number, um, which would look like what thirteen thousand five hundred. So we got a thirteen thousand five hundred dollar Pennsylvania death tax. So if you give your house to your kids, you might avoid that one. But here's the mistake: give your house to your kids, and then some years later, dad needs to move into an assisted living facility, or he wants to downside and go to an independent living, or he needs to go to a skilled nursing facility. And now we've given the house to the kid, and it's time for the kid to sell the house. Well, remember when it was um, dad selling the house, it was exempt from the gain tax because it was his primary residence. But once we put the house into the kids' names, now it's no longer dad's primary residence. It's the kid selling the house. The kid owns the house. The kid sells the house. It's not his primary residence which means we're going to recognize a $250,000 capital gain taxed at 18%, and we just made a, what, $50,000, $60,000 capital gains tax mistake. Whoops. Um, and so, no, I don't think from a tax standpoint it's often a great idea to give your house to your kid, at least strictly speaking from a capital gains tax standpoint. Now, Let's carry out this a little farther. Let's say that dad never had to sell it. We never have to sell the house during our life, right, during dad's life. And let's say when dad passes away, he still owns it, and the kids inherit the property. Not a lifetime gift, but they inherit it when dad passes away. Yes, they now pay the Pennsylvania inheritance tax. But there's this beautiful thing in the, in the tax code called stepped-up basis. Now, stepped-up basis stands for the idea that when you pass away, if you own an asset that has grown in value, your kids inherit it for date-of-death value. So the kids now own it for $350,000. They can sell it for $350,000, and we don't have to recognize the gain. So we 
often with our clients intentionally leave the assets in their social security number so that we and we will have to pay Pennsylvania's inheritance tax but we will get stepped up tax basis on the house um, when they pass away later and we save the $50,000 capital gains tax so it's not always about avoiding every single tax it's about being smart about the taxes and picking and choosing it's hard to avoid them all but we can pick the ones that are cheaper um, and like I said at the top of the show, if we had that house in the trust, which would still get a stepped-up basis, we have also protected it from the nursing home. So most people that are putting their house in the kids' names, they're trying to be smart about taxes, and they're trying to protect it about the nursing home. But the trust does a better job of both. And so what we want to do, in my opinion, in a lot of situations, a lot of my clients, retired baby boomers, middle-class folks, um, I really like the idea of considering an asset protection trust for your house, uh, especially in light of the fact that this Post-Gazette article points out a lot of you have a lot of big gains, big capital gains in that primary residence, and we should protect it, and we should preserve stepped-up tax basis. And this is the kind of thing you'll find out all about when you attend one of our upcoming Three Secrets workshops. It's Three Secrets to Protect Your Legacy. We offer them all the time in Cranberry, and we offer them in South Point. And you're going to learn about the use of these trusts. You're going to learn about wills and revocable trusts. You're going to learn about irrevocable trusts. I'm going to teach you this crazy nursing home Medicaid system that you need to know. I, I really think that, that in an hour and a half workshop, it, it actually really doesn't take that long. It's more like an hour and 15. But in an hour and 15 workshop, you learn a ton of valuable information on how you can properly plan for your family, um, what tools you should consider, uh, what some of them need to say. Uh, and and just get your head around how to properly plan for your family. Because I'm of the opinion there's too much nonsense out there about all you need is a simple will. And and it's like, you know, it's all you need is a simple will and put the house in a kid's name. Well, no. That's a, that's a bunch of terrible mistakes in a lot of situations. Um, and why are we doing that? To save a few grand? We're, we're costing $50,000 tax mistake. Um, so why don't we just do this thing right the first time? I mean, Listen, what we're talking about on this show is honoring your legacy. We're talking about protecting every penny you've ever saved. Um, and if I'm talking about protecting every penny you've ever saved from a, from a potential creditor risk that's $160,000 a year, don't you think? And, and the result is not just $160,000 a year. The result is your wife could lose her home, your husband could lose his home, and the kids never get an inheritance, and you've worked 60 years to give it all to the government. That's what you're up against. Um, and, yeah, if, it's, if, if it was worth 60 years of your effort to build, isn't it worth an hour and a half of your time to learn how to protect it? And that's what we're teaching in our Three Secrets workshop. So I, intend, I, I encourage you to attend. You can find out all about them by going to my website. Now, the name of my law firm, if you're just turning in, my name is Tim Seckler. I own an estate and elder law firm in Cranberry Township, but it serves all over this, this uh, Pittsburgh region. It's called the Seckler Law Firm. Now, that's hard to spell, but my first name, Tim, isn't. So just go to estateplantim.com, and it will redirect you, and you can register there on our, on our firm's website for our upcoming Three Secrets to Protect Your Legacy workshop. Um, we have some webinars, too. If you happen to be a little bit more distant, you can watch uh, on one of our webinars where we teach you the same things, um, and you can find all of those at uh, estateplantim.com. Um, and, you know, look, what, what we're here to do is protect you, protect your family, protect your legacy. You know, most of my clients, most of my clients have some pretty simple goals. You know, 
I worked hard for my stuff. Um, nobody gave it to me. And I've got this stuff. And I want, upon my death, to transfer this stuff to my kids. And I want to do it without any undue headache. And I want to do it without any undue expense. Um, and I would prefer not to lose it all to things like taxes and nursing homes on the way out the door. Right? These are simple goals. Who wouldn't want that for their family? Right? Now, just because they're simple goals doesn't mean it's not complicated. Doesn't mean the answer is not complicated. I got to do some complicated stuff to accomplish a simple goal. You know, I could have a simple goal of going to Hawaii. That's a simple goal. Got to do some complicated stuff to get there, right? I got to drive to Pittsburgh. I got to park. Which which uh, which lot do I park in? Now I got to get on the tram that they're getting rid of, and then I got to go and I got to find the right gate, and then I get on the airplane, and then I fight over a seat and put my baggage in the thing, and then I end up at the connection airport, and then the second connection airport, and now finally, sometime the next day, I land in Hawaii, and this is all very complicated to accomplish a simple goal, right? I just want to get to Hawaii, um, and when it comes to estate planning, it's a simple goal. I want my stuff to get to my kids. But unfortunately, the law is complicated, and we got to do a bunch of complicated stuff to get it done. Now, we try our best to make it easy. I tell a bunch of silly stories in the workshop and do the education piece for free um, so that you understand this stuff rather than just dumping a ton of legalese on you. We tell stories. Here's what Fred and Wilma accomplished. Here's what they didn't do. Here's, here's how they got it done. Um, and so we're trying to take some pretty complicated concepts, put them in layman's terms so that you don't have to have a law degree and 10 years of experience to understand what the heck we're talking about. And then we're going to help you make the great decisions, okay? So you can find out all about our upcoming workshops by going to estateplantim.com. That's my first name, Tim, estateplantim.com. Uh, we'll get you to our firm's website, which is actually secularlawfirm.com, but that's hard to spell. Um, and remember, folks, to not make any legal or financial decisions made uh, based on this or any other radio show you hear. This is for your education and for your information. I hope you learned something by listening to the radio show. Let us know how we did. We're always up for hearing uh, your comments. So reach out to the firm. You can call us anytime, 724-546-4227. I look forward to seeing you at one of our upcoming workshops. Thanks for listening.